0: Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Wingett Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hanson, also a national reporter for the Republic.
0: This is a big episode. We have just hit our 100th. Thanks so much for sticking with us. And new listeners, thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about changes to the Arizona Supreme Court.
1: Let's get into why this is important and why we're discussing it today.
0: The Arizona Supreme Court is the end all be all for almost all cases in Arizona.
1: New tonight, the state Supreme Court now deciding one controversial case with a huge impact on card holders and the medical marijuana industry.
2: Here in Arizona, the movement is fueled by passion and outrage after the Supreme Court kicked the Invest in Ed measure off the ballot last week. When is it okay to
1: refuse your business? The challenge today in the Arizona Supreme Court by two wedding invitation business owners.
0: These could be cases related to landlord-tenant issues, to tax issues, to marijuana legalization, teen vaping problems, education funding, child custody. The Supreme Court can affect every area of your life.
1: Governor Doug Ducey is about to appoint his fifth justice to the Supreme Court. Remember, there are seven justices total.
0: Choosing a Supreme Court justice is one of the most consequential choices a governor will ever make. These cases affect every resident in Arizona, and often in deeply personal ways that you might not realize. Seven justices presiding over seven million people. A very diverse seven million people. And it should be noted, the Supreme Court is not political. In fact, it's inherently apolitical. Does the court accurately reflect and represent our state, and does it really even matter? Governor Doug Ducey recently appointed Judge James Bean, a former appellate court judge, as his fourth appointment to the Supreme Court. Now, Chief Justice Scott Bales is retiring. And like Ron said, that means the governor will appoint a fifth justice to the seven-member court. Today, we're talking with state government and politics reporter Maria Paletta. Hi, Maria. Thanks for taking time away from the ledge. Thanks for having me. Doug Ducey is drawing
2: fire for his appointments. Why? This goes back to 2016 when the governor signed a bill expanding the state Supreme Court from five to seven justices. There were some mixed reviews to that move. The governor said that that would put us in line with some other bigger states, but some felt like that was a court-packing effort on his side. Some said at the time that having seven justices instead of five would allow for more diversity on the court, whether that was race, gender, viewpoint, but. While there can be a lot of political backlash to these appointments and pending appointments, these positions themselves are supposed to be apolitical. The court is supposed to be looking at just the facts, not bringing ideology into it. There is some concern that once you get more people with a similar background, the court's history of being pretty neutral, pretty nonpartisan could be in jeopardy, that we could start seeing more blocks, more splitting, more split decisions like you see at the U.S. Supreme Court versus a history of, you know, several unanimous rulings and decisions.
0: And then quickly, what's the process to nominating a justice, and how has that been for the governor?
2: Typically, the way the process works, there is a nominating commission that interviews, vets the candidates or the applicants, I guess I should say, and sends a short list up to the governor. That shortlist usually gets sent up within a few days of when uh, the justice who is retiring or leaving for another reason steps down. And then the governor has 60 days to appoint someone. So it's interesting because there has been a recent... Um, Controversy, I guess, even with the governor's appointments to that nominating commission that helps uh, select his final appointments to the state Supreme Court. By law, you can't have, or I guess under the state constitution, you can't have more than a certain number of commission members of the same party. Obviously, that's done to make sure that different political viewpoints are represented. The governor has gotten around that by appointing independents in addition to Republicans. There are no Democrats on that commission. So a lot of our state Democratic lawmakers have a problem with that, needless to say.
0: What do we mean when we say that the court lacks diversity? Is it just race?
2: Race is one part of it. We have never had an African-American state Supreme Court justice, never had a Native American justice, never had an Asian American justice. Governor Ducey was responsible for appointing the first Hispanic uh, state Supreme Court justice back in uh, 2016 when he did that expansion. His most recent appointment identifies as biracial as well, um, white and Hispanic. But beyond that, we are getting worse in terms of gender. We have only one woman. The governor has appointed all men so far with his four appointments. There's also the question of ideology, personal political preferences and ideology when it comes to how these justices interpret the law. The governor always says he looks for constitutional conservatives and textualists, meaning people who stick to the letter of the law. And a lot of experts say that's really nice. That's another word for politically conservative. And that's the direction and the stamp that the governor is putting on the court.
1: So why does the court's uh, judicial outlook and its leanings matter to people?
2: All of the characteristics I mentioned actually matter in terms of their political leanings or ideology. We've heard uh, from folks, you know, it's not a bad thing to have conservatives on the court, but if you have all justices who tend to leave conservative or tend to lean conservative, excuse me, or most that can create some blind spots when it comes to their decision making. You want a diversity of perspectives so they can poke holes in each other's argument and arrive at the best decision. There's also the question of public perception. These rulings carry weight because the public puts their faith and their trust in the court to act appropriately, and if people are in the courtroom and they see nobody who looks like them or has had similar experiences to them or nobody who re- represents represents their outlook, then they're not going to think that they're going to get a fair shake.
0: So can you give us a sense of the types of cases that these new justices will have influence over? One recent decision that the court made involved
2: children of divorced parents who may be transgender. There was a mother and father who had divorced. They were sharing custody of three children, one of whom uh, identified as gender nonconforming. The court ruled that it can indeed mandate certain types of Um, treatment, not necessarily a specific person or professional to provide that treatment, but it can intervene if the kid's safety, emotional health, that sort of thing is at risk. That could have applications going forward. There's another case involving educational therapy and where um, the court can sort of intervene in those types of cases. We also might see the recent case that went to the Court of Appeals. That court ruled um, that a Phoenix woman could try to get pregnant using fertilized embryos, without the consent of her ex-husband, who would, of course, become a father if that were to work. That's something that may be appealed to the state Supreme Court. And, of course,
0: consumer issues, those types of things are always coming up. To that point, one of the Supreme Court rulings that I will not forget anytime soon is a decision that it made to leave a lower court ruling in place that allowed the Cosmetology Board to limit fish pedicures. These are pedicures, apparently, I could never get one, in which you put your feet into a pool of water and fish come in and nibble dead skin off your feet. So you might not think that these things uh, affect your life, but let me tell you, they absolutely do.
1: Yum. (laughs) Yum. So this is not just an Arizona thing. We've heard a lot about diversity and and the issues, um, whether it's, uh, you know, for pro-business. There's also things like pro-prosecution or defense. And, um, you know, these are not issues that are unique to Arizona. So how are other states
2: dealing with these kinds of issues? You're right. And that's a very important point. Most other states are not doing well with these issues. Of course, like you said, judicial outlook and so forth is very important. I'm going to touch on race and gender that because that's one of the easiest to quantify and what's been looked at at a national scale. But within the last couple years, um, we saw net nationwide people of color making up nearly 40 percent of the population, but only 13 percent of state Supreme Court justices. And t- in 24 states, they had no one of color on the state Supreme Court bench. Similar for women, they held about one third of Supreme Court justice positions nationwide in 2016, with 11 states having zero or one woman. As far as what can be done to remedy that, I will say Arizona is also shifting in this direction, focusing more on the pipeline. So instead of saying, you know, it's such a shame that we don't have many people on the shortlist, or it's a shame that we don't have many people of color or people from a criminal defense background applying, they're trying to reach people when they're students, when they're still in law school, when they're in undergrad, and even before that, so that people who whose backgrounds are not currently represented on courts, they're sort of planting the seed or attempting to early so that those students can get themselves on the track to maybe do that later on.
0: Doug Ducey talks a lot about the role of women in this state. And uh, I have been surprised that he's not yet appointed a woman. So what does his picks or his selection so far, tell us about him.
2: While well, Governor Ducey always makes a point, whether it's me or somebody else asking, that he is not one to try and check the boxes or do quotas. It's always about the person with the best qualifications. However, with some of these short lists, for example, the most recent one, you did have at least one woman on there who also happened to be a person of color, who also happened to be a person who had experience with tribal courts, um, had experience in more rural parts of the state. She did not get selected. despite having the highest marks from the nominating committee so it's a little bit of a mix there and yes he does as I said earlier he always says no there's no particular litmus test I'm not in my interviews asking them how they feel on abortion rights and so forth but clearly there's something that he's looking for because most of these people that he's appointing share similar outlooks
1: can this affect Arizona's national (laughs) reputation
2: It definitely can. Supreme Courts and other states look to us, we look to them for rulings and sort of use that or use those decisions as evidence or hints at what a state's priorities are, the direction that they're going, particularly if it's a ruling that breaks new ground. One of the more recent um, higher profile rulings with our state Supreme Court was when it ruled that Arizona colleges couldn't give in-state tuition to young immigrants in the DACA program, better known as DREAMers. So that was something that not only made headlines here but made headlines
0: nationally we've talked a lot about the types of cases that the Supreme Court has influenced there are some coming up that could affect you um, within the next year even there's a case of uh, a girl who fell and hit her head while at a birthday party at a city park Uh, there are questions about whether or not the city should be held liable There uh, are other cases, one involving a firefighter's fight to be compensated for exposure to carcinogens while working, and there's a legal fight over parents' treatment for their child. The mom disagrees with the way the father is um, handling uh, therapies for uh, the kid. So these cases could affect you in ways that might not be clear um, immediately, but maybe for you or for your family members, they could one day impact your lives.
1: So there's a whole range of issues, obviously, that people don't even think of that could wind up affecting their lives. What's the big takeaways as people think about this next opening that the governor is going to fill?
2: One thing to take into account is that we're not just out of the blue or out of nowhere making this into a big thing. Governor Ducey is or will have appointed more state supreme court justices than any other governor in Arizona history. As Yvonne said earlier, that's those are legacy decisions. They could affect Arizonans long after the governor is here, depending on how long they're on the court. And given the the breadth and the scope of the cases that they take and the rulings that they make, if They do not, if those justices do not reflect the population of Arizona, we can't really guarantee fair and representative decisions.
0: Well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget.
1: And you can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N.
2: You can find me at MPoletta, that's
0: M-P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday.